Jesus, for everything that you do, Lord, and for the opportunity, Lord, that you gave us, Lord, to sing to you, Lord, and to, to praise you, Lord, and for this uh, group that we, you've given us, Lord, to, he, to help us with the worship, Lord, we just praise you for that, Lord, to help the songs that we are able to sing, Lord, and, and the reminders in these words, Lord, these lyrics that uh, all the things that you've done for us, Lord, we truly are thankful, Lord, and we just ask you, Lord, to bless these um, these tithes and these offerings, Lord, uh, also too, Lord, your, your word, Jesus, we ask you to help us, Lord, to now receive it with the joy and understanding, Lord, that it's for us to now use to be able to grow from and, and to be able to have victory, Lord, and, and anything that comes our way, Jesus. We thank you for this, Lord. We ask this all in your precious and your holy name, Lord. Amen. Amen, hermanos. God bless you. I'm going to ask Brother Gabriel to come on up, and let's now give attention to his precious word. Amen. God bless you, hermanos. Amen. God bless everyone, brothers and sisters. Y'all may be seated. Was the group this uh, evening? As we uh, as we find ourselves here, inviting the Spirit um, in our praise and worship, kind of all know where we're at physically uh, from the week that we've had. Uh, usually, you know. I got home for lunch today, and my back was, like, hurting. I couldn't feel my left leg, and and I had to get a almost a tennis ball this size that we used for our puppy, the little one, tennis ball that size. Uh, and I had to put it in my back just to relieve some of the pressure. And like I said, you know, we all we all are at a different, you know, level here. But the point is, is that we're here with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? We're here believing that um, he knows all things and everything that we need, our prayers, our desires, everything. We believe that he is a good God. We believe that he's a just God. We believe that he's a God of mercy. We believe he's a righteous God a God of grace. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that no matter how we came today, if we commit ourselves to not leave the way we came and to take something with us, take something of hope, uh, take a new approach to our faith, a new desire. Don't wait till it's broken till you try to figure out how to fix it. Don't wait until you assume something's wrong uh, and it becomes wrong to try to fix it. You know, we have examples in the Bible. We have situations in the Bible that we've experienced as a church, too, through the Bible. And the Word of God has taught us a lot of things. And I started thinking about today's message and uh, titled it, When It Doesn't Belong to You. How many, everybody, how, how many as a parent has ever had to say that? That doesn't belong to you, to your kids, amen? Amen, I think all of us have done that. Well, that doesn't belong to you. No wonder they're getting mad. Sometimes we don't think about it in the practical, spiritual ways that the Word of God talks to us. You know, another way of looking at it is when the ownership doesn't belong to you. Something doesn't belong to you that you physically own. You know, we are 
very passionate people. How many of us are, believe we're passionate people? You know, we've got a lot of fans going out there. God bless all the heat flashes going on. I can feel the air coming this way, so keep it up. You're getting these, these new boards that we put in. It's, hit, it's hitting me back, so God bless y'all. But we're very passionate. I want you to look at a couple of things. There's been people that have joined the army based off of something that happened or they seen. You see the Twin Towers, and you see people in droves, young people, uh, single people, joining the army because they wanted to fight for what was right for the freedoms of the U.S. Very passionate. Can you imagine that? Putting your, I mean, that's heroic. That's something that to be proud of for people that fight for our liberties and our freedoms. But very passionate to make a decision that way. I've put myself in situations where I, I think I shared this story. I was in, the, in, in Europe, and I was watching TV one night, and the, and the TV's a little different in Europe. The news is a little different. They'll show blood gushing out. They'll show a child's face completely melted away because of bombs that people were dropping. And I was watching the newscast and watching what they were doing in Syria to the children in the, in the schoolyards when they were dropping these chemical weapons. How disgusting it was that they would do that to children and to people too. I, 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 remember, I remember thinking about leaving my family that night and just going and, and joining some of these militias in Syria. I was so angry. I was thinking about my kids and what, what was happening there. And people had, had given up their careers to go be nurses in, in, in helping people underground. I remember that night I'm watching that. I'm just disgusted. How can somebody do that for no reason? And deliberately dropping them on schools knowing that kids were there and that they would have victims. But I've also, you know, heard people talk about moments, and one that comes to mind is you see, and you've seen probably before, a story of an elderly person being robbed and beaten and left there and taken in, in a city. And you hear that, and you're just so angry. How could somebody do this? Because we're passionate people. We're so passionate and so quick to react to something that's unjust. And I think, brothers and sisters, that this passion that's in us sometimes transcends into decisions that we make that aren't ours to be made. Decisions that we make that really we have no say in. And I started reading this story about David had never read this one before. And I got very motivated in what God was showing me in this. God bless the kids here. I think the youth probably could stay here. I think there's only a couple, but the youth could stay here. In the God bless the little ones, though. 
But why do we doubt God's plans? Why do we doubt what he has planned for us? Why do we doubt it? Have you found yourself at any time in your life doubting God's plans? Have you found yourself doubting the circumstance you're in as being part of God's plan? We find ourselves forgetting Jeremiah 29, 11, the promise that God gave us. I'm going to ask Brother Anthony to put that up. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. We've read this I don't know, a lot of times here. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith Gabriel Romero. That had no value. I'd be like, you ain't got no skin in the game, Gabriel. But it says, for I know the thoughts I have toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. We see that God has a plan for us. And yet, the pain and the suffering and the struggle and everything that comes with life makes us begin to doubt God has a plan for us. Oh God, oh long, oh so long have I suffered. How could this be your plan for me? We've had messages here, brothers and sisters, where we've talked about being in struggles, questioning the struggles, and not seeing God's plan. You see, David was a young man that didn't know God's plan. But he trusted in God. And the problem is, is that David grew up. David grew up. He stopped being young. And some would say naive. But we would go to what Jesus said, let the children come to me. But that is a kingdom. Those that just fall backwards, knowing that somebody will catch them. And David started confusing himself with his own strength and his own abilities. And it was a very dangerous place to be in when you start to think it's you that's doing it. When you start to think that you can do this alone, that you have gotten up to here on your own. And we don't trust in God's plan. But we're passionate people. And our passion sometimes, man, you can't even, you can't even just, man, you can't even look a certain way at my family and I'm going to, mm, mm, come at me. Because we're passionate. And our reaction 
sometimes is in that. And we see here, we don't trust in God's plan and what he's doing in us. Sometimes our passion confuses our God's plan. Amen? Praise the Lord. You can put up the next, next verse, brother. My copy, print it, sorry. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. How many of us want God's words to be in our heart when we trust in him? You shall teach them diligently unto, the chil- unto your children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou, thou risest up. Brothers and sisters, these words... Some of these words have we've heard before, we've read before, and yet we don't practice. And our kids are growing up. Our kids are starting to find their own ways of finding their strength. And we've got to testify to them on how God has a final say in things. How God has the plan in our lives. That though we think we're going to do something and become something, and though we dream of something, God knows what we need. God knows our capability. God knows how far we can go. And the moment we trust in him, and the moment we believe in him in this, young and old, we start to release this pressure that we put on ourselves to succeed in life, to think that we have to have it this way, to be successful. All we have to do is have it the way God planned it. That's all we have to have it. That's when you've succeeded. You see, you can read a book. You can write a book. You can go to a seminar. You can talk to successful people. And it doesn't matter what they tell you if it's not your plan. God has a plan for us. When we seek it with all our heart, He reveals it to us. Let it not be too late till we recognize that it was his plan. Let's look at where we're at and rejoice. Amen. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. So we see this and we've read this before. But we miss it sometimes because it's usually on Father's Day and all the fathers are happy. The parents are happy on Mother's Day that we're reading this one. But right here it says to train up a child in the way that they should what? So there's two words there that I want to emphasize on, way and go. 
we know what the Word of God says is the way to go. We know that there's only one way. But yet sometimes in our frustrations and humanity and the way it is, we begin to show a different mindset to our family. If there's struggles, if there's pain there, we get to show a different way that we go. And that confusion starts with our children when we're not going to what we were trained to go to, which is God. This is where a prayer and leaving it at the prayer and our, ch- and our child sees us still very nervous and struggling. Then that question begins to be, be given. Are you, you've trained me to go to someone. You've told me you put me to sleep with the stories of who to go to. And yet I see you right now in this struggle not going. There's so much relevance to training them and raising them the way to go. And brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in this struggle as we learn. And God is merciful. Because we failed in this. If you're over here thinking that you haven't failed in this, then you're failing the most at this. Because we've all failed in this. And for us, our prayer, our desire has to be to be that example in our houses. Amen? And it says, when he is old, he will not depart from it. Some of us find ourselves reaching that old state. And sometimes as we mentioned on a prayer service one, finding ourselves feeling we're departing it, getting cold. Have we recognized the way to go and that he is the only way? Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth the rod hateth his son. I don't understand that. That's a pretty strong term. You don't punish. The rod is very non-politically correct these days. They'd be calling upon somebody if we use that term. We see here, he who does not, he that spareth his his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him, chasteneth him betimes. Now, brothers and sisters, let me ask you a question. How many of you, how many of us have been punished by God? Oh, come on now. That's just a couple of little gatos here, right? Little birdies right here, I just heard. Let me do it one more time. How many of y'all have found yourselves being, let's just use what, Tassin? How many of you have found yourself at the end of God's 
finger of correction. In that moment, you're not thinking because you become what all of us parents are when we're telling our kid no. You're not thinking that God loves you, are you? You're thinking, yes, I am, brother. I know the word of God says this right now. Ah. It's like your child doesn't think you love him when you're telling him the discipline. And we find ourselves here responding very childishly to our God when he is correcting us, when he is showing us, when he is guiding us, when he is explaining to us why we're in the situation we're in. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, that God loves us. God loves us so much that his word is hard at times. Who? Who can be saved? Your, your word is hard, God. Isaiah 54, 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. Now, brothers and sisters, our desire here, as human as we are, is that our children find peace in their life, find happiness in their life. Some of us think about it too much, that we don't have peace because we're thinking about our children's peace so much. Because we've missed what the Word of God is telling us here, that they're going to find peace not by you worrying, not by you desiring the peace, but by you teaching them. You see, brothers and sisters, we're missing it. We're too busy. We're too frustrated in correcting their path. And sometimes it's God's wisdom that he can give us as we leave a trail of our path for them to follow. You see, our children cannot see the hypocrisy in us and find God. Our children and our family cannot see the hypocrisy in us and find God. I'm going to say it one more time, just to, I think three times we'll probably hit a chord. Our children cannot see hypocrisy in us and find him. Where they can see it at is when they see the hypocrisy in us. And then they begin to see the transformation in us. First, we got to come to a moment in our lives where we identify the hypocrisy. When we come to that moment where we have identified our hypocrisy, when we start to see the fruit, when we start to see the fruit, 
of some of our struggles, some of our examples. We've got to identify and say, you know what? God, forgive me. Forgive me when I murmured. Forgive me when I criticized. Forgive me when I hated. Forgive me, God. Forgive me when my kids saw things that they shouldn't have seen in me because they stopped seeing you. I say this all the time. I say the number one reason for not believing in God is seeing believers that say they believe in God deny him daily. We serve a merciful God, though. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. If we struggle with identifying what's broken inside of us, if we struggle in seeing what's inside of us, destructions around the corner, it's the moments that when we start to see what God needs us to see in us, that we begin to follow his plan. And brothers and sisters, I tell you, it's not too late. It's never too late. We see in the word of God, we see all ages being blessed by God, finding God's plan at different parts of their age. The key to this, the key to this is understanding when God is showing you the obvious. And we find ourselves here on this journey with David in the book of Chronicles. If we turn to 1 Chronicles 21, and brothers and sisters, as we read here, like I said, this is the first time I've read this, studied this. I wanted to jump back a chapter, and I went back a chapter, and it's, you know, this chapter is long, but the chapter before is only like eight verses, and talks about a guy with 24 fingers, six on each hands and on Six on each toes. Kind of creepy. I don't know why I even brought that up. And nothing to do with the message, but it kind of scared me. So I started reading this chapter right here, and I'm going to read it with y'all. This is the first time that Satan is defined as Satan. Remember, this book is before Job. And we read here. 
And now David has the attention of the ultimate enemy here. So we start reading verse 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now this is very important. Because you see, it says that Satan provoked David to number Israel. You see, David was such at a such a bad point where everything was coming at him, as you'll read in previous chapters, that David forgot something. David forgot that Israel wasn't his and that it was God's people. You see, the devil got David so twisted, so wrapped up in David, the mighty David, David felt so overwhelmed that the devil put in him count Israel. I want you to count them. And you see, in the book of Exodus, God defined that these people were not Moses's. They were God's people. And abolished what we call today a census. Does everybody know what a census is? When they ask you how many people are in your house? See, David didn't realize this because he was provoked. He was provoked by Satan. And we keep on reading in verse 2. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Bathsheba even to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Job answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. Now listen to that. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more as they be. But my Lord King, are they not all my Lord's servants? So, so you see here, in this provocation, in this... Temptation from Satan. Somebody's telling David, David, it didn't matter if there was one. God's always made it more than what you needed. He's been with us. And I tell you, brothers and sisters, that there's times that we find ourselves and our faith is at the brink of denying God that we've got to look for the sign we got to look for the signs. There's usually going to be a sign of reason, a voice of reason. When we're feeling provoked, when we're feeling dismayed, we're just knowing something's not going right. I shouldn't be feeling this way. 
I shouldn't have this hate. I shouldn't have this fear. I shouldn't have this. I shouldn't have that. The one thing we should have is an awareness that God is going to speak to us. And we keep on reading. Why then doth my Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Listen to that, brothers and sisters. It's bad enough when David, a friend of God, doesn't realize that this is going to, he's going to disobey God by doing this. It's bad enough when David doesn't realize this, but it's even worse when somebody tells you this. Why are you going to do this, David? First of all, they ain't your people. Anytime that you've ever worried about any of this stuff right here, why are you allowing the, de- the devil to get you to this point? Every time you've needed something, God's given it to you. Why are you, te- why are you doing this that God is going to move? Again, look for the voice of reason. We keep on reading here in verse 4. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David. And all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and a hundred thousand men that drew sword. And Judah was four hundred threescore and 10,000 men that drew sword, for six. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab, for seven. And God was displeased. One of those situations, we don't, Consider the consequences, even though everybody's telling us how God's going to react to it. We see right here after this had happened, and God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he smote Israel. Why is it that Satan can push us Why is it that Satan can push us to what God doesn't want to do to us, but he wins in this? You see, Satan's never going to tell you that God is with you. Satan's never going to tell you that God's not going to forsake you. Satan's never going to remind you how God showed up for you. What Satan's going to do, he's going to push you to what he needed God away from to destroy you. And brothers and sisters, we find ourselves here 
And we've had messages, we've had sermons, we've talked about things. And we're educated up. We're knowledgeable. We've had different stories, messages, and preachings that related to us, that impacted us. And yet, we miss the mark in moments because we're passionate. And you see, David was like, look, if I know the people, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a killer. I'm a general. I know what God called me for. He called me for war. I stood on top of Goliath and gave all the glory to God. And this battle that David was going through is a battle that's common to all of us. We stop reflecting who called us and who's gotten us to where we're at. It's not perfect where we're at. We serve the perfect one. And with, with his love and mercy, is molding us, is shaping us. And I see this story here in the Bible with David. And instantly after he gets the report, where you would think he would get his confidence with hearing all that army that would be behind him, God begins to destroy and kill Israel. Brothers and sisters, let's be very careful not to trust in leadership. We begin to put too much confidence in man because we see an example here in David. King David. Could you imagine Joab, the confidence that he must have had in God to question a king in a time where there is not questioning of kings? You could be put to death, treasony, because you question a king. But when you know who God is and what God can do for you, you trust in God. And we keep on reading here. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly. Because I have done this thing. But there's always this. But now. We all have this moment. We all have had this moment that now the milk is spilled. God, I'm going through this thing. I'm seeing this thing was because of me. But now, instead of before then, brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves, when we find ourselves in that crossroad of a decision, 
when we start to find ourselves going down a path that we question. Or we start to look back on why we've suffered. We must reach this point where David's at in his conversation with God and it says, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now, brothers and sisters, remember who this is. This is King David. This is a man after God's heart. You would think that that prayer would come, and it's done. It's done. But David found himself in a place that was not normal to David because now he's dealing with the God of love. He says, David, if I don't show you something here, if I don't show you what it is to be on the opposite side of me, then do I really love you? And we find ourselves at times, and I've thought of experiences in my life where I was going through something that God was teaching me something. Nobody could carry this weight. Holding my child here, not knowing why. And I see my family around me. They couldn't do nothing for me. All they could do was pray for me. That's a lot. But they couldn't physically take something off of me. And I remember God. In the hospital there with my wife. You know, asking what's going on here. What are you showing me? What are you doing in me? Everybody was brokenhearted and praying. The church was praying. I remember brothers and sisters telling me. But I found myself in this moment where all I could do is be in front of God. And I remember just little things. I mean, oh, brothers and sisters, if you just knew things that we went through, there was a, there was a and I don't know if my wife remembers it. She, God bless her. She had just had him, and she's going through everything. And she probably remembers these moments, but there was a moment on I know she remembers that they're giving them medication and all of a sudden it's on a machine and this machine just goes Shh. and you hear the person panic. They're like, oh, oh, oh. And oh man, you Jesus had just started working in her life. She about to I'm over here like thinking, you know, God had been working in my life a long time in my mindset with things that we had been through. And, and I see the situation and I'm like, I'm about to say, what's going on here? What do you mean, uh-oh? They're going to get other nurses to find out if that was bad because it was a timer that this medication was just going to slowly, and all of a sudden it went. <laughs> We've already been through a night of, 
them doing a spinal tap on a two-week-year-old. You had surgeons shaking as this little unshaven young man is holding my fingers and the guy shaking, the surgeon shaking. This is the smallest child that he's ever had to do this to see if there was bacteria from a rupture that he had. And I'm see, sitting there and I'm experiencing all this in this moment. And it's just like it was yesterday. And we're experiencing this together. And my wife's too weak because she's been through a day. She's probably has never experienced. And we're there. She's going through her deal. I'm going through my deal. But I remember God telling me, am I with you? Because if I'm with you, show me right now that you trust in me. This was me personally. He was talking to me. And I was like, okay, you know, okay. I know they, they're going to go. They're going to go deal with that. They got to figure out what happened. And I remember coming to church. And I've talked about this before. I remember I used to sing that song, Yo sé que Cris, suave camino para mí. Yo sé que Cris, suave camino para mí. Y si yo vivo en santidad, hago bien y dejo el mal. Yo sé que Cris, suave camino para mí. And I remember we went in on Sunday. I came to church on Wednesday, and I'm singing that song, and I'm crying. I'm cry- I ain't never cried singing that song before. Because God had me in a moment where he was asking me, do you believe that song? Do you believe what the words of that song say? We see David here. As it used the term beseeching, begging God. I don't know if you've been in that begging moment. I don't know if you've been in that situation yet. I don't know if you understand what that situation is yet. But David found himself after the title of king in that situation. Saying, God. He didn't say, God, I didn't know. Because the text is well written. And Joab told him. He said, God, I beg you to forgive me. Because I shouldn't have done but I knew I shouldn't have done and we keep on reading here I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing but now I beseech thee do away the iniquity of thy servant for I have done this very very foolishly verse 9 and the Lord spoke unto David Uh Uh-oh. 
that what it says? <laughs> you know, you know you're in trouble. You know you're in trouble. You know when you're in trouble when you want your daddy to tell you something. And your little brother's giving you the message. <laughs> you know, you know you're in trouble. Tell me, am I right? I don't want to even talk to you right now. I respond to you. You're in trouble. Jesus, and the Lord spoke unto Gad, David's seer, and saying, verse 10, went tell David, saying, thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Oh, man. This is more and more sounding like a parent's response. I offer thee three things to choose. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto you. A, B, or C. Some cases we we enjoy we would not enjoy it, but we would like something that's drawn out. But when we see what these things are, there was none of them that was better than the other. And we read verse eleven. So Gad came to David and said unto him. Thus saith the Lord, choose thee, verse 12, either three years of famine or three months to be destroyed by your enemies. Three years of famine. Three years to be destroyed by your enemies. While that the sword of thy enemies overtake thee. Or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land. And the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Whoo! What's your title again? King. What's going to hurt you the most? Your kingdom. None of these seem, well, you know, I think I'd pick the three days, right? But look what the three days does. Almost complete destruction. Three years is a prolonged. And three months still had its struggle. Now, therefore, advise thyself. What word I shall bring again to him that sent me. This isn't an easy response. Advise yourself. What do you want to go through? Brothers and sisters, we've made... Jesus, too easy today. We made him too flexible today. We made him to where 
We've shaped him instead of him shaping us today. But what we see here is righteousness. As we see a God not being moved, not saying, oh, I, I get it. It's somebody that was a king that should have known better. And the fear comes over us, and this is why it's quiet in here. I know that's the only reason. It's not because it's relatable. It's quiet because it's fear. Because we know that this God, being as great as he is, is a terrible God, a mighty God. It's a God that doesn't give you small consequences. They're life-changing consequences. And we see here, David responding the next verse. And David said to God, I am in a great strait. Let me fall. Let me. Let me. Let me be the one to take this. Seems honorable, doesn't it? Let me be the one. I deserve this more than my people. You see, it was more than that. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel. And there fell in Israel 70,000 men. And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And he was destroying the Lord beheld and repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed it, it is enough, stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan. The jet, what is it? Jebusite. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this threshing floor. So the Lord sends a pestilence against Israel. 70,000 men die. And the angel that destroys Jerusalem stands at the threshing floor. Of Ornan. The threshing floor is something that's used today. It's a flat piece of surface that farmers get the wheat and pound 
you remind you might remember Ruth. Story of Ruth. She went up and picked up what was not. Talks about her being at the threshing floor. And to this day, in parts of the world, they hit the wheat against it, and the wheat falls out. And it's able to be separated. And it's an interesting place where God puts his angel. Because we see David at a point where God is sifting. We remember that term? Peter. The devil has asked sift you. And I'm praying for you. So we see this part that started at the very beginning with Satan provoking David to fear, to make a decision that at the end was going to deny him trusting in God that would then bring God's wrath on David. And so this angel is there on the threshing floor, a place where the wheat is separated. And we keep on reading. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having drawn a sword in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. 17. And David said unto God, Is it not that I had commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, As for the 70,000, it was me and David as himself was accountable as being king. What have they done? Let thy hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me. Now, I don't know where you're at in your life. I don't know what you've been through up to today. I've heard your testimonies. I've cried with you when I've heard, I've thought of you when you've asked for prayer. But I don't know if any of y'all have ever been to where you've recognized some complete disaster and you're like, God, Just take me. But David is at this point. He's like, God, just take me. What did these sheep do to you? We can say, oh, an unrighteous God. 
What did the sheep do there? But we don't understand that these times, the people of Israel were struggling. Because again, the leadership. And God needed to create and raise up new people. And we find David here begging. And we keep on reading. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David <clears throat> that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to take you to a place in your life where you went through something that was difficult, that was, that was almost unbearable. I want to take you to a place in your life, in your walk with Christ, not in your walk without Christ. I want to take you in a path, because some of you might say, I can't think of that yet. God bless you. Some of y'all can say, I can go right to it. I have multiple ones. I just told you one of them. But the angel tells David something very interesting. He says, where the wheat was being separated and what was good being separated I want you to build me an altar there and brothers and sisters sometimes we find ourselves not not building the altar of praise of worship of appreciation in moments that God spoke to us so hard And when I find myself in these moments, and we have them, and you have them, you have them. They're there for you. You've had it. I'm not saying I'm the only one that's had it. You've had this moment where God used the devil to sift that what wasn't good. And we're here. And David's told, build an altar. I don't know what your altar needs to be. But you know what it is. And you know what it needs to be. If it's an altar of praise and recognizing God for being so good. And the sacrifices that you bring there are those of remembering how good he's been and how merciful he was and how forgiving and loving he is. And that's the altar that's built. We see here David being told, being commanded to build an altar. 
at the threshing floor. And we keep on reading. And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spoke in the name of the Lord, verse 20. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel. Now, now listen to this. Listen to this. Listen to this. The angel told Gad, and Gad told David, but nobody's told Ornan yet. Remember, that's his property. So he turned back, Ornan turned back and saw the angel. And Ornan's four sons with him, they hid themselves. It's a normal farmer. That's his threshing floor. They're just simple people. Oh, Ornan's a simple person. And so they see this, and they hide themselves. Ain't never seen this in the farm. Now, Ornan was threshing wheat. You got David over here struggling with what he did. You got Ornan over here providing for his family, doing his job. I'm a wheat farmer. This is what we do with the wheat. Verse 21. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor. He went out of the circle. He went out of the place that he was sifting the wheat and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. So go back a couple of verses, please. 20, I'm sorry. And Ornan turned his back and saw the angel, and his four sons with him hid themselves. So Ornan found himself working. He was threshing the wheat when he saw this angel. The problem, brothers and sisters, is that sometimes we've experienced a moment in our life when we're doing what we need to be doing. We're doing our job faithfully. And we've been exposed or we've seen and experienced the wrath of God like Ornan did. You see, Ornan was doing what he was called to do. What God's plan was for him. All these years struggling, calloused, working, 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 working. Raising his kids up to be farmers, working, working. David comes and sees Ornan. Ornan falls on his face. And now we see the conversation between Ornan and David. 
And David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself. Verse 22. And David said to Ornan, grant me the place of this threshing floor. Now what's interesting is you almost have a moment here. You start to kind of feel bad for Ornan in this moment, not really thinking about what David's needing, because you're like thinking, man, the king's come, the king could go anywhere and get anything that he needs to get, and I'm over here working, and this pestilence, and there's people dying, and I'm over here trying to provide for my family, and, and you can see this moment where Ornan's like, really, King David? You know, I kind of heard a rumor, there's a rumor going around the kingdom that we're going through all this stuff because of you, and you're coming over here, and you're taking the only thing that allows me to provide for my family he's passionate. David goes to him and he says, get me this place, this threshing floor, that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it for me for the full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. You see, David, when he asked for this, he didn't tell him, give it to me. He said, I'm going to pay for this. And, and, and now you see the heart of Ornan. Because how I reacted was how sometimes we would react to a situation of fatigue and anger and, and our emotions. And, but Ornan was not cut out for that. Ornan had a plan from God, a purpose he was living. See this moment, and Ornan responds in verse 23. And Ornan said unto David, look, take the land. Take it. Ornan didn't see an opportunity here to say the king of Israel is here. I'll sell it to him, and my family will be okay. He says, take the land. I know what state we're in. I've heard. I'm a simple farmer, but 70,000 people dying at once would be a cause for panic. And so he says, take it to thee and let my Lord, the king, do what which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee this oxen that I use on this to sift the wheat, to thresh the wheat. I give you this oxen as an offering, a burnt offering, and that the threshing instruments for wood. Now listen to this, brothers and sisters, because we missed this. We missed this. You see, David was in a place where he was asking for forgiveness, begging, willing to give himself for it. And now an individual that had no skin in the game to what had happened was prepared to give it all. Because he known that God had been with him up to then. Something that David had forgotten. And he says, you know what? Take the land. Take the ox for an offering. Take all my tools for the wood. 
Take it all. We keep on reading here. And the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. I don't think it was David being obedient that got this plague. I think it was Ornan. Not doubting where he was at with God. You see, brothers and sisters, you have David here at a moment begging for God's forgiveness. And you have Ornan willing to step out of his comfort zone. What a comfort zone too, right? To be in a what I'm doing. Because see, where you start to see Ornan's heart is when you hear David say, give me this land, I'll pay you. Humanity didn't take over Ornan thinking, ooh, king wants real estate? Price goes up. No. He heard. Words that convinced him in his decision. The Lord has required this. I'm not sure where we're at. If we're in the David side or if we're on the Ornan side. But where do you find yourself in this balance? Are you seeking the redemption? Or are you giving the offering? We keep on reading here. I give it all. Verse 24. And King David, man, I mean, I gotta I gotta imagine I'm hearing this right here. And King David's like, man, I remember when I was a little shepherd boy. I used to live in a little hut. We just po folks. We have po folks. I mean, when you we, we had just a couple of sheep. I got this. I'm a king. I'm a king. And I got this. I got this. Let's just say what it is. I got a, maybe a peasant. I got a peasant putting me in check. Showing me how much. He trusts in God. He believes in God. That I failed my people by my decision, by my doubt, and I see the faith of someone working and not wavering, not murmuring, not doubting his purpose or plan. David says, Nay, no, 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 no. No. But I will verily buy it for the full price. For I will not take that which is thine, 
Listen to this. David is coming to a new place in his life where he's been inspired and motivated by somebody's act of generosity that he could easily just take it because of the greed and because of things that were coming into his life that started separating him with doubts to God. He could have put on the king cloak and say, yeah, that's right. Good choice, Ornan. But he says, no. No. I appreciate this, but you don't know where I'm at right now, Ornan. Ornan, you don't know where I'm at right now. I appreciate this, but I'm willing to pay the full price for this. For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. You see, brothers and sisters, we forget that there's a cost. It's not a verbal, it's not a a voice of commitment. It's a cost. It's got to hurt. You see, we've been through things, we've gone through situations, we've been through things like David because of actions that we did, because of doubt, like I said before, because I murmured, because I did this, because I didn't learn, because of this. I didn't pay attention because of this. And we find ourselves in the David moment. And when we've seen these examples and we've heard these testimonies, And we're naive and we don't even tremble and fear and say, I don't know if I could handle that. I don't know if I could have gone through what Gabriel and Jennifer went through. I don't know if I could have gone through what what family's been through. Brother John's been through. Sister Letty. I found myself in that moment, in that, that moment of suffering, in that moment of cost. And I found my moment talking to God, self-evaluating. Si tu vives en santidad, and if you live in holiness. I said, God, sitting in that room, I remember saying, God, I'm living in holiness right now. I'm living in holiness right now. And this calmness came over me. And everything was chaotic. And we didn't have answers yet. We didn't know what was going to happen. We knew there was going to have to be therapy and, 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 and there was going to have to still be medicine. We didn't know these things. But I said, God, I'm living in holiness. And that confidence over me. I was able to tell my wife, I got it in God's hands. As we went through things, struggles and pains, and God was working on both of us. And the cost that Ornan couldn't understand that David was willing to pay Can you imagine? Could you imagine? You'd be willing to give it all when you were prepared to give yourself 
Dornan says this, and we keep on reading here. King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for full price. For I will not take that which is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without a cost. Now listen, brothers and sisters, we come here and we think we're offering something. We ain't got no cost. We ain't even identifying what the cost is. When we identify the cost, the offering becomes more valuable. Right now, God, I, I, I don't feel like praising because I, 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 I feel like I'm alone. That's your cost. R- right now, God, I don't feel like this because I feel this. But I'm going to do it. That's your cost. Right now, God, I have this going against me, but I'm going to still trust in you. That's the cost. And we see here on verse 25, so David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. Now, brothers and sisters, you know, seems like a, seems like David got a steal for the thing, right? If we... Just take that today's currency. You know how much that is? Anybody? Ah, one million. Good guess. You went over. $600,000. I don't know where he got that number from. But he paid $600,000 for this land. He went with intent. He went with a purpose. He went knowing what God had been to him. And this was nothing. This was nothing. God's grace and mercy. And for all the songs that he wrote as a child in the pastures, of his father's land as he looked up into the mighty heavens and sang to the glory of God. Nothing. There was no overpaid in this one. This was what was right to him. We keep on reading here. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offerings. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up, he put up his sword. Verse 28, at that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, 
and he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness, and the altar of the burnt offerings, were at the season in the high place of at Gideon. Gideon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because the sword of the angel of the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, we see here David has gone through so much. A lot of us can relate to David but we might not be so compassionate to David and for what he's gone through because we know the consequences. Too much is given. Much. All the farm. Brothers and sisters, we have desires here. Everybody's ambitious here. Everybody has a desire to succeed. You're not sinning by having a desire to be successful. Some of us have plans for businesses. Some of us have plans for education. Some of us have the next great idea that we've desired. And God can bless it. And I encourage that desire. But if we forget Jeremiah 29.11 that he has a plan for us and we can't appreciate if what our desire was in God's plan, we can get lost in our journey with God. Who were doubt overtakes what God has done for us. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You see, Solomon wrote this. I don't know if he knows the story of his dad. Some of us dads don't share too much. I don't know if he sat with Solomon one day and said, Solomon, let me tell you a story about the threshing floor. Let me tell you a story where the wheat met the rock. Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you something that I hope you'll be smarter than what I was in hearing God's voice and trusting in our God. But we see Solomon here saying that if we if David would have just sat back, said, this is what I asked for, got to just happen, and not try to make it right, and cover it up, he would have met his fate. David wanted to make it right, and was prepared to do anything to make it right. Now, some of us tonight might not be in a situation where 70,000 are going to fall by your side. 
Some of us are in a situation where a family's being torn apart. Where your life's in a curse. Where the struggle is real. Some of you might not have the title of king or queen, but the losses still feel the same. And I ask you, when you recognize what this is, and you recognize what's been hidden that's caused this, and you confess, I beseech you, God. I beseech you, God, after these 70,000 have fallen, take me. And God might speak to you about your altar. What is your altar? What does your altar need to be? If we turn to Colossians 3.13, I'm going to ask the group to pass on up. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Brothers and sisters, I do not know what you're holding in your heart. I do not know what you might not have forgiven yet. I do not know what pain is there, what suffering is there. But I know one thing, that we're in a place where Christ has promised to take it from you, to remove this burden, this weight from you. What is your offering? Forgiveness seems a good place to start at. The change seems a good place to start at. Our desire is to be loved by him. To be loved by him, we must recognize his love for us. We lose ourselves, brothers and sisters, with our passion in our reaction, in our desire to, to do something, when it's as simple as following his word and trusting in him. Why don't we all stand up, brothers and sisters? Our God is a merciful God, a loving God, a God that's great. I'm going to ask the group here to give us an opportunity for us to raise our hands.